Good morning, everyone. You survived July 4th, so that's good. And I am uh, grateful for uh, your survival. Uh, We did as well. My uh, 10-year-old lit fireworks for the first time, and uh, we didn't lose any hands, so that was good. But if you're new or you have been just checking us out for the last uh, couple of months, I'd love to get a chance to meet you. And so next Sunday, uh, right after this celebration, we're going to provide lunch for anyone. And then also I'll get a chance to kind of share my story and to learn your story as well. And so child care is provided. Uh, You can uh, leave your kids upstairs and just make sure you get them after that. Um, But uh, we'll be done by about one o'clock. And uh, you'll have the rest of your afternoon, but would love to meet anyone who, uh, any of you that are new, uh, to be able to get to connect uh, with you with that. Well, as uh, you may have seen by the uh, front of your program, we've been in a summer series called Choose Joy. And what we've been talking about is how do we grow in joy? And we talked about the difference between happiness and joy, that anyone can be happy, but joy really is a gift from God. And so how do you have sustainable joy in your life? And we've been looking at this through the lens of a book of the Bible called Philippians. It's actually a letter, and it was written by a guy by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament. Now, today, what we're going to look at is a passage of Scripture that is very practical. So if you're a practical person, uh, you're going to love this. Uh, It's not going to be real meaty or deep or anything like that. In fact, just so that we know it's practical, let's all say the word practical on three. One, two, three. Practical. Okay, that's what it's going to be. And since I only work two hours a week, um, I have a lot of free time on my hands. So I googled some things about practical tips in life. And here's the first one that I found. Uh, Ten practical tips on improving your memory. Some of you could use that. Okay. Some of you could. All right, here's the second one. Uh, Six practical tips on how to free yourself from your phone. You got any addicts here with, don't raise your hand because it'd be all of us, right? We always have our phones. Uh, Here's the next one I found. Five practical tips to get a man. And then ironically, it says uh, 10 practical tips to get a woman. So, uh, or 10 tips to get a woman to like you. So, Think about that. It takes guys five more tips to like actually get true. True. Yeah. Okay. Well, I looked through all of these different practical ways uh, online and I couldn't find anything that gave practical tips on how to follow Jesus with joy. And so I thought, well, everyone should know that. So I want to give you six practical tips today on how to do that. Here's the first one. Uh, you can fill this out in your program or on our app. Here's the first one. You become hungry in your relationship with Jesus. You become hungry in your relationship with Jesus. If you want to grow in joy in your life, then you have to have more hunger for him to want to grow deeper in him. How many of you have ever heard of the uh, board game Hungry Hungry Hippos? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, Hungry Hungry Hippos right now is a game that my daughters love to play. And, uh, you know, they really enjoy this game. And the whole point 
is for you to get as many marbles as you can uh, in your hippo's mouth. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but these hippos actually have names. And uh, I investigated this week. There is Henry, Harry, Homer, and Happy Hippo. And they're hungry. And the key is, is that you have to get the marbles in there. And whoever has the most marbles wins the game. Now, my girls, I don't let them off the hook. Like, I don't just let them win. I mean, I'm competitive when it comes to hungry, hungry hippos, okay? And I will take them down if I have to. But this is the whole point about hungry hippos. Once you find out who has the most marbles and who has won it, you're like, I've arrived. But then that's it. The game's over. There's nothing else. And what Paul wants to talk about this morning is that when you're growing in your relationship with Christ, it's not like I get so many marbles and I grow so much and then game over. It's about how do I become more hungry and hungry for him continually? How do I keep growing in a relationship with Christ? So in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 15, Paul says this. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, that word mature does not mean perfect. It does not mean that Paul thought that he had it all together. I've got some life experiences is what Paul's saying. And I've followed Jesus really faithfully. And I think I have some things that I could share with you. And you should follow then me the way that I do it. Now, he asks this question. He says, uh, you know, what is this way? What is this way of thinking that he's talking about? And Paul is referring back to the verses that we looked at last week. And if you weren't here, we'll get you on board. But in verses 12 to 14, he says, this is the way you should be. Not that I have already obtained this or already imperfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is it's not about trying to be perfect, but it is about leaving the past behind, both my past failures and my past successes. And then I'm really focused on how do I get toward the goal, which is having a deeper relationship with Christ. So verse 15 that we read, it says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. There are so many ways that you realize that you could grow in your relationship with Christ. One of those is you're doing right now. You're here on July 9th and you're trying to grow closer to God. And Paul is simply saying that keep doing that. Go to church, try other ways that you can grow. Just don't put it on cruise control and just think that you're, you've arrived. But keep on growing because Paul would say you never arrive as a Christ follower. We were doing hungry, hungry hippos. You finally arrive and you're the champion. But in a relationship with Christ, it's about how do I keep on growing more and more with him? Hungry followers of Christ realize that they've never fully arrived. Now, let me be the first one to say I have not arrived. 
I have a lot of areas of my life that I need to continue to grow in. And guess what? So do you. There are areas that everyone here is still a work in progress and you need to grow in. So at our resource table, we have two practical tools. If you're here for the first time or you've been coming for a while, and if you're not like taking the Bible and actually trying to read it, we have a reading plan for you. It only takes five or ten minutes. You can pick it up at the resource table. There's also a practical plan on prayer. If you're like, I don't know how to pray. It feels weird. I'm not, am I talking to myself? Am I talking up? What, what is that? Well, we actually have a plan of how you can learn how to pray. So if you want to be able to get more hungry for Christ and fulfill some of the hunger that you have in your life, stop by the resource table and pick up either one of those. Well, verse 15 goes on to say, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, I put everything from my past behind and I strain towards the goal, which is Christ. And if in anything you think otherwise. Now, some of you are sitting there right now and going, hey, preacher boy. That's good for you, but I have a real life, you know, like I don't just work two hours a week. I have a job, kids, other things. You know, I don't have time for all of this. And does it really mean that I have to be hungry all the time? Yes, that's what it means. It means you are to be hungry, wanting to grow closer to God all the time. I mean, you can't take days off. Okay, like in the NFL, pretty soon they're going to start. Uh, their camps. And when they start the camps, if you want to make the team, you don't go on the second day and go, boy, I kind of had a rough day yesterday. I think I'm just going to take a day off. You know what they're going to go? Go take a few more days off. Like all the days. You don't take days off. And if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, you can't take days off. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, think otherwise. And God will reveal this Also to you. Folks, when you have a relationship with Christ, there is not an end line. There isn't like, oh, I've arrived. I've I've met it. It's about continuing to grow and to get further and further in your relationship. Now, this morning, for some of you, you're sitting there and you're like, I'm ready for more of Christ in my life. But you haven't been baptized. You you haven't said publicly, I want you first in my life. It doesn't mean I'm going to go do it perfectly, but as far as I know, I want you to be first in my life. Well, you should make a commitment today that on July 23rd, when I teach the baptism class, that you would do it. And you can sign up a couple different ways. You can either sign up on our app and you can do it that way, or you can go to the resource table and you can sign up there. And it's not a pressure plea. But it's like, hey, if you're saying I want Christ to be first in my life, then why don't I just do it and I'll make it public and I'll let people know. And it's a first step. Not that I got it all together, but it's a first step of saying I want a hunger for you. I want more of you in my life. And then on the 20th, we'll actually have the baptism out at Prairie Creek. So my question for you this morning is this. Are you hungry for a relationship with Christ? And if you're hungry... What are some of the steps that you could grow in that relationship? Now, let's be honest. I've had this with myself. Sometimes I hate it, but sometimes I feel like I'm coasting. I just keep doing the same thing over and over again and think there's going to be different results. And 
If you're coasting, then make a change. If you become apathetic, if the things of the world are consuming you so much, then do something that you add a little bit more God into your life. Today is one of those days. But tomorrow, maybe read four or five verses. Pick up one of those reading plans. Pray. Do something. Listen to worship music. Something that will grow you closer to Him. So first, I want to be hungry. Secondly, um, we must hold on closely to Christ. That we have to hold on closely to him. Verse 16 says this. Only let us, what's the next word? Hold true to what we have attained. So he's like, hold on to what you've attained. He's like, don't become legalistic and think that you've arrived, but hold on to what you've attained. Some Christians think that after they've had faith in Christ, then what it's about is good works. Remember last week, we had a big basket, and we were filling them of eggs. And I said that what many people think is that how you get closer to God, or whether you make it into heaven or not, is that you do a whole bunch of good works, like taking eggs and putting them into a basket. And eventually, you take that basket to God, you're like, God, I think i got enough eggs to get into heaven. I have enough good works, God, to get into heaven. And that's absolutely the opposite of what Paul would say. Paul is so clear that this is what he says. He says, that's not the case. He says this. Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own effort what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? In other words, what happens is when you first come to Christ, you're like, it's about faith. But then in our world, what happens is we start thinking, oh, but i got to do a whole bunch of things if God's really going to think I'm good, so I have to do these good works. And Paul's like, that's not the way it is. If you think that way, you're wrong. You see, every step with God, folks, is a step of faith. There's not a step that, I have never, that I've ever taken closer to God that it didn't take faith for me to do it. Every step, I'm depending on you. I want to grow more to you. Help me, God, to be able to do that. Paul says this, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Folks, every step is, I'm dependent on you. God, I can't do it on my own. I need more of you. So let us hold fast to what we have attained. You know, a lot of times when I'm trying to hold fast to Christ, what I'll do is I'll uh, spend some time listening to some worship music. And there's one particular song that I've listened to many times before. It's a song called Closer. It's about how do I get closer to Christ? How do I get closer to him? And so what I'd like you to do is Derek's going to uh, lead us in a song. And I just want you to listen to these words. And maybe you've had a hard week and a difficult week. And you just need a moment where maybe you could close your eyes and just listen to the words and allow God's presence to fill you. And uh, then in just a few moments after he's done that, I want to share something and then we'll sing it together collectively. But let's allow God's presence to help us get closer to him right now. Your love has captured my heart, taking me 
gone through a really tough week and maybe there's like a challenge that's in front of you and it feels like a brick wall and you can't get through it and you've been trying with all of your own energy and the thing that you really need to do right now is to hold closely to the one who can do it to hold closely to the one who loves you to hold closely to the one who can get you through what this is And so whatever that thing is that you would just say, God, right now as I get ready to sing these words, God, would you come and be close to me? And if there's a step you need me to take, there's something I need to release, if there's something I need to surrender, God, help me get closer to you right now. So if you would, let's uh, sing this together uh, as a church as we get closer to Christ. Your love has captured my heart, taking me over, taking me over, and all I want is to be with you forever, with you forever. Just pull me a little closer. in this moment to uh, draw closer to you 
And this week, God, help us to get closer as we grow in following you with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the third thing. Oh, you all stood. That's cool. Uh, well, some of you. Some of you stood and you're real holy. And some of you. I was the one sitting down, so don't worry about it. Hey, here's the next thing. Just practically, here's a third tip. It is to uh, heed the example of Christ. That you must heed the example of Christ. In the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, 134 times we are given one simple kind of command. Anyone want to guess what it is? You're like, we're paying you, dude. Tell us. Okay. This is it. Follow me. 134 times the phrase either follow me or follow or following. There's this concept that you would follow him. In fact, Jesus, when he first came to the disciples, the very first words out of his mouth were not, hey guys, how you doing? It was this, follow me. And scripture says that they left everything and they went to follow him. Jesus said this in John 10, the sheep hear his voice. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they, what's the next two words? Follow him. They follow him because they recognize his voice. What did they do? They followed him. In fact, the Bible goes on to say, Christ is the example, follow in his steps. Folks, you could take all of Christianity down to those two simple words. Follow Christ. When you don't know what to do, follow Christ. When you think you have all the answers, follow Christ. When you need to obey, follow Christ. It's all about following him. But here's the problem. Being like Christ is like a really, 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 really high, lofty goal. I mean, do you ever hear people say this very much? I'm pretty much like Christ. I'm Christ-like. I've arrived. If you want to know what it's like, follow me. So, we don't hear that, do we? So we have to have kind of intermediate goals. Now, you may have never seen this before in the Bible, but I want you to see this because Paul says it. Again, it's not me, but Paul says it. He says this, brothers and sisters, join in, what's the next word? Imitating me. Imitate means to mimic. And it's not just one time, but you do it over and over and over again. You are following Jesus when That says you mimic, you find examples. Imitate means, hey, Paul is an example of a person that I should follow because as he follows Christ, then I should follow him. Now, if you hear, if you have children or grandchildren, you see them mimicking or imitating you all the time. For example, my wife rolls her eyes. She does this all the time. Now, you know what I have? An eight-year-old and a ten-year-old who, whenever things aren't going well, you know what they do? Now, whose fault is that? Jennifer's! 
That's her name. Just say, you know, every once in a while, just say it. Just joking, just joking. But you know what? I went to go uh, pick my daughter up from school uh, several months ago. And when I walked up, the teacher was there and I said, hey, I can't find my daughter. And she said, oh, she's inside the school. And I said, well, why is she inside the school? And she said, well, there's a little boy who will never get on the bus and he has autism unless Shiloh goes and grabs his hand. And there's so many times where I've seen Shiloh do that with this little boy since then, where she was modeling and mimicking something. And one time I just was like, well, where do you get that from? And she's like, mommy does that. And there have been times when we're in a public setting where, you know, the person who has a physical disability or a mental disability and everyone doesn't want to be around them and they're like, could somebody just get them quieted down? My wife so often has gone to this person and is caring and loving and compassionate in ways that I wish I was like. And Shiloh was just imitating or mimicking her mom. When I pray... Almost every prayer, I always pray, God, thank you for this gift of food that we have when we have dinner together. God, we have this great gift of food. And now I pray, God, that you would feed those individuals in our world who will not eat as well as we will today or they will not eat at all. God, would you feed them? And I was listening to my daughter Jordan pray a couple weeks ago. And she's praying about all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden she says, and God... Would you be with the poor people in the world? Would you feed them? And it just hit me. The reason she did that is because she was trying to imitate her dad. And for, for you, as adults and parents, it's so important for you to know that people are watching you and they want to imitate you with what you're doing, regardless of where you're at. And it's so imperative that you realize that there is one to imitate. Folks, when it comes to imitation, Paul is very clear. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, some people, they don't like that. And if you were to ask them, they're like, well, that sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? Like, why would, why would you say, follow me as I follow Christ? Well, I don't know about that. Let me ask you this. Is it arrogant for a math teacher to show you the equation and how to get it done? I wouldn't say that's arrogant. That's what gets me the grade, right? Is it, is it arrogant for the coach to say you're supposed to shoot this way or swing this way or hold a glove this way or kick a ball into the goal this way? Is that arrogant? No. But when someone says spiritually, you should follow me as I follow Christ, it's imperative that we would do that. And scripture is very clear. It says this, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. And then another verse says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The Bible is clear that we should imitate those who have spiritual leadership 
over us. And I'm not just talking about me, but I'm talking about staff, elders, small group leaders. Our children should want to imitate their parents. They should want to imitate the teachers that are up in jar kids. And it's not just imitating them because we think they're of God, but it's imitating them because you want to have that kind of character. I want to have that kind of attitude. I want to have that kind of ability. But when it comes to imitating character and attitude, it's my hope that we have enough people in the jar that people who are newer in the faith, they look at someone, they're like, man, I want to be more like that person. Now, as a pastor, as someone who loves you, let me just say that I'm not Paul, okay? I'm not even close to Paul. All I know is that it is a massive responsibility for me to stand up here on Sunday and to teach you something that would actually change your life for eternity. And each week when I stand up here, even though we have fun and we joke, I want you to know there is a seriousness that when I stand up here, there's a seriousness of like, God, I don't want to mess up. I want to get out of the way for you to move, for you to teach people. And scripture is very clear that we are to follow those who have that example. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Just ask my wife and kids, okay? They'll tell you. He's far from it. I'm not perfect. But Paul wasn't either. In fact, you can read about his imperfections throughout scripture. So the reason we should follow people is not because they think they're perfect, but we follow people because they have a relationship with Christ and they're growing maybe more in him and they actually produce fruit. You should not just follow someone because they've followed Christ for 50 years and be like, oh, I guess they do. If they're not producing fruit, don't follow them. You follow people that produce fruit. So we heed the example of Christ and those who are truly following his leadership. And do you get this concept that I'm talking about? You get it? Now, to be honest, I'd like to change the subject. Because every time it talks about teachers and leaders and you're to follow them, it scares me a little bit. But Paul was like this, don't let your eyes wander. Keep them on faithful leaders. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and the glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Have you ever noticed this, that if you follow the wrong person, often your heart gets broken? Has that ever experienced have you ever had that experience? You follow the wrong person, and so your heart gets broken? Because everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ, even a pastor or preacher or teacher, is not necessarily doing that. There are some examples that are out there, and you have to determine for yourself, are they or not, are they not? There are pastors and leaders that have their minds on earthly things, and it's stunning to me. One time I did a funeral with another pastor and at the end he said, now I want any of you that want to accept Jesus today, just raise your hand, but close your eyes right now. Well, guess what I did? I opened my eyes and all of a sudden he said, you over there, uh, yes, you're accepting Christ. 
nobody raised their hand. He He's calling out people that at least I didn't see. Maybe there were ghosts in there. I don't know. But he wanted to let people think that somehow that was something big on him. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been with pastors before that they talk about how much money they make and they want to talk about the cars they drive. Or, and I just don't get it. What kind of suits they wear? Folks, it is very important to be careful who you choose to follow. And don't let your eyes wander to the glitz and glimmer. Get your eyes focused on healthy examples. Now, the good thing is that for most of my life, I've had spiritual leaders who were healthy people. When I was in high school, there was a youth leader that invested in me, and he was a great, great person of God. In college, the first three years, I was so rebellious, far from God, didn't want anything to do with God, had totally lost my faith. And there was a man that came up and met me where I was at, did not judge me, and he cared for me and me built, built into my life. The first church I pastored, there was a farmer there who I wanted to imitate. I wanted to be like him. He was such a man of God, he, he knew scripture. Now, I didn't want to smell like him. I just wanted to be one that, like, imitated him, okay? In seminary, the dean of the seminary, Anderson School of Theology, the reason that you're here today is because he poured enough encouragement and strengthened me, and I could imitate what he was doing so that I went for it and a church was started. There's a friend of mine in Pennsylvania who I call each week and we spend 30 minutes, minutes together praying over the phone. And he's such a man of Christ and I want to imitate him because he imitates Christ. And folks, I don't mind saying it. Our staff, our elders, they are people that I look up to. And so often I want to imitate what they're doing, ask for their advice. I want to grow closer because they're following Christ. Folks, no one has a corner on this Christ-likeness thing. All of us need to find examples that we can follow. So the question is, who is it that you're following? Here's a fourth tip. You remember heaven is your ultimate uh, citizenship. You remember that heaven is your ultimate citizenship. Now, up until this point in this passage that we've been looking at, if you were to stop right now, you'd be like, that Paul guy, he's really arrogant. And he's so negative. It has kind of a darkness to it. Look at the scripture. It says, their glory in, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I mean, that's dark. But then he goes on to say, and what's the next word? What's the word after things? What is it? I can't believe you guys said that in church. I want to do this series. I just haven't had the guts to do it yet. But the butts of the Bible, that's what I want to do. Because if you ever read the Bible and you're reading about something, often the next word is, but, and then this amazing thing. And for this it says, but your citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Where's it at? In heaven. You see, folks, I am not a citizen here on earth. I'm not an alien either, okay? But my citizenship is not here on earth. My citizenship is in heaven. And you know why I love heaven and the citizenship that I have there? Is because in heaven, 
I'm thrilled with the way that the government works in heaven. The governance in heaven has no lobbyists. It has no bureaucrats. It has no 8% approval rate. It's 100% all the time. Because there's a king who sits on that throne, but he doesn't sit on the throne to pour it or to, to push it down on people. He reaches out in love and grace. And in heaven, they always make right decisions. There's no bills to pass. Everyone's cared for. Everyone's loved. And if you accept Christ as Lord, you are given citizenship in heaven. Because Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. First Peter says this, for God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in where? Where's it at? It says in heaven for you. Folks, God has a wonderful gift in heaven for you. But it is amazing to me how often people get consumed with earth. I read a story this week about a guy who had a lot of money. He made a lot of money. It was like money, 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 you know. And this was a guy who counted his money, invested his money, measured his money, stored his money. Money was always on his mind. I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Right. That was him. But no matter how much money you have, folks, eventually your health changes. And when it changes and things go wrong, it doesn't matter how much money you have. When your health fails at the end of the day, nothing saves you. And this guy figured this out. And so he went to his wife and he said, I'll tell you what, I want to take it all with me. She's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I want you to take all the money that I have. I want you to put it in a box and I want you to place it in my casket. I'm taking all the money with me. And his wife turned to him and said, honey, I'm not sure I can do that. He said, you can and you got to promise me right now that you will do that. She said, yeah, I promise. Well, on the day of the funeral, after the eulogy, sure enough, here comes this woman with a box. She takes it up to the casket. She places it in the casket. Now, the pastor had heard about this, and he looks at her, and he's like, you're really not going to do that. You're not going to meet his request, are you? And she's like, yes, I am. I promise. She's, he's like, yeah, 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 but you won't be cared for. I don't care. I promise I'm going to do it. And so she puts this box into the casket. They have to push it down to close it down. And then all of a sudden, the funeral director locks it. And the pastor looks at this grieving wife and says, you didn't. She said, yeah, I promised I did. I wrote him a check. (laughs) Now, some of you will figure that out later on. Okay, so. (laughs) Folks, this is an illustration of how a lot of people live their life. Their life is in the here and now. What I can get now, I want it now in this moment. Everything is just here and now. And I want you to know you don't take anything with you, folks. So don't make your citizenship here on earth. Make it in heaven by making Jesus Lord of your life. Let me ask you this question. Where do you want your eternal home to be? Hint, not here. In heaven. Tip number five. You place all hope in Christ because he never fails. Paul goes on to say, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it 
We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to his glorious body. Now, how many of you have a lowly body? Don't raise your hand right now, okay? But I have a lowly body. You know why? Because we went to Kings Island yesterday. And as we got ready to do the first roller coaster rides, my wife says this, you're on. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're riding all the roller coasters with them. And I mean, we rode them all, every single one. And when we got to the vortex, I got off that thing. I thought I was going to throw up. I mean, I was like, Ugh, like this. And you know what her uh, help to me was? Here's a half a nausea pill. Take that. Get back on again. You know? And today, guys, I'm telling you, my body it feels like snap, crackle, pop. It's like all over the place. Bad things. But guess what? One day, God's going to take my lowly body and he's going to make it glorious. And if you're in Christ and you feel like you have a lowly body, and you're struggling with some health stuff, or you're just struggling in general with some stuff, guess what? One day, you're going to have a glorious body as well. Just like the transformation process we talked about Last week of metamorphosis, that God takes us as larva and then we become a pupa and then to a caterpillar to eventually a beautiful butterfly. And you might ask, well, how is that going to work? Well, verse 21 tells us, it says this, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Isn't that a great statement? God's going to put his feet up. He's going to take it easy. And his ability to make sure that everything is done correctly and in its proper place will happen. One day, God is going to do a spring cleaning in all humanity. And every time that you've been wronged, he's going to correct it. Every time that you've experienced an injustice, he's going to turn it around. You see, sometimes what happens is when we experience injustice, we think, oh, and it doesn't get solved. We're like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? He's like, oh, don't worry. It's not all just here. One day I'll take care of it. You see, everything God remembers. He counts everything except our sin when we confess it. But the wrong that's been done to us, the injustice that's happened to us, it's not just something that he has a sleight of hand to And the scripture says this, that with the power that he enables or that he subjects all things to himself. That's how he does it. He has power. If he had the power to make sure that planets are orbiting in certain ways, if he has the power to make sure that everything perfectly runs. Did you realize, folks, if the sun was just a little closer, we'd all burn up. If it was just a little bit further, we would all freeze to death. But he has perfect timing. And the hope of Christianity is this, that you can expect that there will be perfect justice one day. One day, Christ is going to make everything right. Everything that's been wrong to you, he will make right. And those who follow Christ can simply say then, well, God, this injustice I'm having, it doesn't feel like I'm getting any justice right now, but I'm releasing it and I'm trusting in you. This person who's wronged me, who's done me wrong, God, I'm releasing it to you. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to control it because I know in time you will create justice. So this morning, let me ask you, are you consumed by something? 
Is there something with a spouse or a parent or a friend or a neighbor? Have you done something? Have you thought something? Has someone done something to you? Folks, God's grace and mercy is new every single morning. And his justice doesn't just fall out there, but it actually will be prevailing in your life. So the question today is, is there something that you need because you need hope to leave at the feet of Christ rather than trying to control it yourself? Do you need to trust in him? Do you need hope for something? Last tip. You give your heart to Christ who will truly help you stand firm. You give your heart to him so that he can help you to stand firm. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And here it's like Paul is saying, now I'm going to give you my heart, Philippian church. And I'm going to pour it on with maple syrup to let you know how much I care for you. You're my family. I love you. I long for you. You are my joy and my crown. Now, what does that mean that you are my crown? Well, the Bible tells us that one day when we get to heaven, we will receive a crown. And many people think it's like the Burger King crown, you know, that you put it on. He's not talking about a physical crown. What he's talking about is the crown is all the influence and impact that you've made in other people's lives. The crown is when you stand before your heavenly father and he says, because of you, I want you to turn around. All of these people are in heaven as well. And you look and there's a line there. And I'm telling you, folks, you don't want to be standing there when they go, dude, where's your crown? And you look around, there's like nobody there. Because that means that you had no impact. And you're like, well, I just took the fire insurance. I knew I would get in, but, you know, I just didn't really invest in anybody. I didn't invite or encourage anybody. Folks, the joy of heaven is going to be the lives of the people that you were able to influence for Christ. There's a guy in our church named Jib who has become a really good friend of mine. And I've invested in his life for over a decade. I've encouraged him, built him up. We've become really good friends. And now he's one of my intercessors. In other words, he prays for me every single day. And I give him a list of things to pray for each month. But shortly after he started the jar, he almost destroyed his life. I mean, literally. He had pancreatitis. He was on a table. He was close to death. And even though that experience happened, it didn't keep him from continuing to go down this horrible, destructive path of alcohol and drug abuse. He has a Ph.D. in chemistry. He's, he's a person who has great intelligence. He had to eventually file bankruptcy, cash in some of his 401k. His wife left him, his kids left him, and he was all alone. But God continued to press upon me. Don't give up on him, Chris. And there were many people around that did. Many people gave up on Jib. And I just kept feeling like God said, don't do it. And I didn't. And I want you to see a part of his story. Look to the side screens. 
for years I, I drank alcohol um, as a way to cure, I thought, cure boredom um, and anxiety. And, and with that, it got, it got worse and worse, and I eventually made other choices that, that um, drew me away from, from Kendall and our relationship kind of separated into two separate lives. I knew what I was doing was wrong, um, but every day or at night, I still grabbed that drink, and I felt very guilty about it, and I felt guilty about choices I was making in that process. And most of my life, I felt like God was more judgmental and um, than, than I really knew than he really is. And... Um, I, I think God tried to get my attention through messages at church. Um, I remember moments where there were very uh, personal messages and personal feelings from God, but I just didn't have the, I didn't have recovery <laughs> to know how to, um, how to make anything last that was God's attention. And I didn't feel like I was running from God as much as I was running to other things. So there was a time at church when Chris had everybody kind of close their eyes and, and think of Jesus as your friend and um, imagine talking to him as a friend. And it was the first time I felt it on a personal level, God still seeing me and still, despite me feeling ugly and dirty, um, showing me that the most important thing he wanted me to know was that he loved me and he was with me and he wasn't there to to cast judgment. God is the one who, who helped us and got us through our difficult situation and brought us back together, no doubt. Um, and he also used, used other people and used us getting to the point where we gave up on ourselves and, and no longer fought through things by our own power. And um, with that, ultimately was was getting into recovery we're getting into celebrate recovery because and then trusting that process which is a god um, directed recovery program and uses other people to support and trusting the advice of other people that have been through that or through similar tests just trusting that this dark place that that you're in there's a there's a better light at the end of the tunnel no matter what it is. Jim and Kendall were divorced for four years and he needed to build a lot of trust up. And so every single month he took a drug test until after four years they got remarried. Both of their kids were there. I was at the wedding. It was a beautiful transformation of healing. And you know what? As they came, they both stood firm for the first time in their marriage on something that wasn't their abilities or their money or anything else, but they stood firm on Christ and Paul's very clear he says stand firm in the Lord stand firm folks this week there's no doubt that some of you may have had amazing temptations and you were tempted to maybe go down a certain road 
and you didn't, you didn't do something stupid, but the temptation is still there and you just wonder if I'll do that. And if I can, let me just say, don't do it because it can destroy your life. But find something that you can stand firm on. And that is a relationship with Christ. We have a, a group, it's actually what changed Jib's life, called Celebrate Recovery. It meets on Thursday nights. It's not just drug and alcohol abuse, but any hurt, habit, or hang-up that you have. Maybe you're struggling with something and you just can't get beyond it. And you need to be real with some people. On Thursday nights at 7 o'clock right here, we have a group that meets and lives are being changed. And so you could do that. Or when you walk through the hallway, there's a table to the left where you can stop and there's some material. If you're like, hey, I'm not ready, I just kind of want to maybe check something out, pull a pamphlet and check it out. But I'm telling you folks that if you want to see change in your life, it happens when you finally say, I will stand firm, not in myself, not in my own strength, but in the Lord. And so, as a sign of us doing that together, I'm going to invite us all to stand right now, to stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'll be at the side screens. They would love to pray for you. But if your life has been a little bit wobbly, And you're standing right now on your own two legs, but honestly, in your spirit, in your emotions, you've been kind of just weak. If you try to do it on your own, folks, eventually you're going to fall. But if you surrender to the one who knows you best and loves you most, he'll give you strength to be able to stand firm. And it's a relationship with him. And so today, if you've never made that commitment before, if you've never stand firm and said, Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. I don't know everything about you, but as much as I know, I want to accept you as Lord. In just a second, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you say this prayer for the very first time, when you leave back in the corner, Tom Truesdale's there, and he would love to be able to just encourage you to my left, back here, your right in the corner. And he's not going to say another prayer or do anything else, but he's got a Bible for you he'd like to give you and just give you some encouragement as you begin your walk. So we're going to share in a prayer all together. And here at the jar, we never pray alone. We, we pray as one. And so I'm just going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. So let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father... Thank you for helping me to stand firm. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who prayed that for the first time. And uh, if you did, just go to that table. Otherwise, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.